1: Hello and welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional dude of Musical Things.
0: And I'm Andy Stewart, sticky filmmaker, and now... Podcast maker
1: and joining us this evening, he is the director of programming for Shudder. Sam Zimmerman. Good evening.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you,
1: Sam. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, this is something we've been working away on for a little while, so it's really nice to have you here. Absolutely,
0: yeah.
2: it's really
1: nice to be here.
2: I really love the sort of ethos of the podcast and kind of diving into films that are underseen or underrated or or very specifically loved by uh, <laughs> an audience member.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that what you've chosen for uh, tonight's episode fits into a few of those boxes i think so you've gone for the haunting of julia or full circle as it's known uh in some territories uh why this one i mean a i just really love it i think when
2: i was first introduced to it it read as like a curiosity for me hey there's this sad little ghost story that mia farrow stars in just about 10 years later from rosemary's baby more or less and you just get sort of curious what does that look like what does that mean another horror movie with mia farrow and i watched it and it really knocked me out i felt very impacted by it Mm -hmm. And it's been clear to me that since I've seen it, I've understood that, you know, and a lot of people haven't seen it or those who have kind of hold it dear, but it's not really in the popular consciousness. It's not readily accessible. But I find it so enrapturing and I find it very hard hitting. Honestly, on this last rewatch, found it kind of strikingly modern. And so I'm surprised it's not more evident, more more surfaceable.
1: It is um, definitely not the most accessible thing, certainly not by what you would call legitimate means, certainly <laughs> here, because um, when we first suggested it, obviously we don't necessarily encourage people to go dig things out on YouTube if you can find it on VOD or ways you can pay for it and things like that. But the only way we could uh, get this over here was by watching it on YouTube. Uh, so how long ago was it that you came across this for the first time?
2: I am not 100% sure, but I believe it was around the time I read Kaila Janice's brilliant House of Psychotic Women,
0: all right, okay, okay. Um, which
2: is a book I absolutely adore, um, and I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be a friend of Kayla's now. But that book really blew me away, and about half of it were things I've seen and things I already knew and really loved, and it kind of felt like a missing puzzle piece to me. There was a type of film I realized that I had always been drawn to and that I always really warmly embraced, and reading Kayla's perspective, Kayla's deep dive into what kinds of movies these are, then set me off to go see the rest of them. and. Right finding about a haunting of Julia full circle in there. Uh, that was one of the first stops I made along the train, along with a brilliant German movie called dare fan, which I oh, absolutely love. Oh, it's the best. And, and so I think it must've been around then. I don't remember how I saw it. it. I think, you know, every once in a while it pops up streaming. We've even had it on shutter in the U S uh, about a year or two ago. So I think I may have, you know, eked it out on Amazon Prime at the time, or, (laughs) or even just rented it, you know, it's on Amazon video here. I'm not even entirely sure if that's legitimate or if it's one of those cases where someone's uploaded it. Um, (laughs) Sure. Sure which is always very strange and you feel kind of bad. But that's when I saw it, and that's when
1: I was really, really taken with it. Okay, Andy. Yes. Is this another first watch for you, or have you seen this before?
0: I've got to say, Mitch, I think for the first time in the two and a bit years since we started this podcast, I have had, I'd say, a month, pretty much, where, with the exception of a film that I chose for our monthly Me Versus You episode, I think they've all been first watches
1: yeah so that was uh so we have this we have a uh, teen witch <laughs> and uh, what was the other one
0: again shakma Mitch,
1: it was shakma, <laughs> shakma. oh yeah. man shakma is a special one <laughs> you're you're not kidding my friend so a first watch for you as well then tonight.
0: it was yeah yeah and um yeah, I was pretty impressed by it, if I'm honest. Sam, you said that it, that when you first kind of saw it, you thought it was really impactful. From that opening scene, which we'll we'll get to shortly, I mean, you want to talk about impactful. That's an impactful opening scene, for sure.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. We'll get into that in a sec. For me, it was a first watch for me, but in it, these things always are. Sam, I don't know if you've heard the show before, but basically, um, <laughs> Andy has seen almost everything, and I have seen almost nothing. It's more surprising if I've seen something before when we're talking about it, whereas... Um, It's a real statistical anomaly to have Andy have seen so few in the last month. Sam, before we get into this, we are going to ask you to do one thing. It's for the benefit of anyone who is listening to the show that hasn't seen The Haunting of Julia, and I guess that there might be a few of them out there. Andy, is the 30 seconds on the clock? Of
0: course, there is much. There always is. So, <laughs>
1: Sam, in a moment, uh, if you are, if, if like your mission, should you choose to accept it, I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30 second synopsis of the haunting of Julia. How do you feel? That's I. Uh, let's go. Oh, okay. Confidence. Oh, yes. That's what I like to hear. Okay. Three, two, one. Go. The Haunting of Julia stars
2: Mia Farrow as a young woman who loses her daughter in a tragic accident. She moves into a house of her own accord to recover from the grief and quickly uh, discovers the house is haunted, possibly by a child, who could or could not be her daughter.
0: Happy with yep. that. With uh, yep. 14 seconds remaining.
1: Powerful stuff. Powerful pretty stuff. Great.
0: Pretty great. That puts you in the, I'd say, the top kind of
1: 20%. I would say that sounds about right. And yeah, after, and after 123 episodes, I think that's pretty good going. So. This film does not fuck around. Straight off the bat,
0: we've got Mia Farrow, who we we all know, Um, and we've got Keir Delea from... uh... 2001 and black christmas here as well as her uh, frankly horrible husband magnus
1: yeah magnus bad guy
2: he's real um you know and i'm sure we'll get to this but he sort of lives in the pantheon of gaslight husbands <laughs> yeah he's very much uh you know i'm doing this even from the beginning uh when it opens in the scene and he sort of opens the mail and immediately passes it to her and he's like i need your signature on this trust it's like oh you're only in this for one thing yeah. her money
1: yeah it sells Arso right out of the gate um, <laughs> for Magnus, I think. But yeah, you, which is you're a right, shame, because cut- he wears great suits. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you really want to like him. Just for, just if nothing else, just for his sartorial elegance. But um, we kind of pivot really hard and very heavy into the almost immediate death of their daughter, Katie, who uh, chokes on an apple slice, which is... Um, Pretty traumatic stuff, although I did wonder if anyone here had heard of the Heimloth Maneuver given that the attempts to save her in order were holding her upside down, putting her in a headlock and then trying to stab the apple chunk out of her esophagus with a knife.
2: I did wonder that, but I also wondered, um, and this is probably my problem because I always want to give everything the benefit of the doubt, when the Heimlich Maneuver was implemented.
1: You know what, honestly I had the exact same thought and I forgot to Google it. Like, I, because I was genuinely, I was like, because nobody heard of the Heimlich Maneuver? I was like, wait, was that invented? I'm on it. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad that someone <laughs> is.
0: <laughs> I've got an answer. The Heimlich Maneuver, it was, it was relatively new on the scene at this time. The Heimlich Maneuver was invented in 1974. So, I mean, it was out there, but you have to wonder how, how, how broad its reach was at this time.
2: Yeah, and top of mind, especially in a panic like that. I mean, you know, not that holding someone upside down is the better move, but, you know, I wonder if parents like that at the time, would that would be their first thought.
0: Having a son, my first thought, wouldn't be kitchen floor-based tracheotomy done by a desperate mother. Like That seems like... I, w- I don't think I would go there in that instance, Mitch. I don't think she was putting the, the knife down her throat in, the, in an attempt to skewer the piece of apple and remove it.
2: <laughs> Probably one of the best first indications of Julia being sort of imbalanced.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think also I'm quite happy to let the high maneuver thing slide it was three years <laughs> old or so at the time the story was told. Might not have been that widely disseminated. Fine with it. Um, but yeah, Kate... Um, <laughs> uh, oh, but you'll yeah, learn. Kate, um, You're talking to like the... I'm the
2: most like, slidable audience member in the world. My whole mission is to meet every movie halfway, so. That, that kind of makes you the perfect guest for this, though. <laughs> <laughs> but this is absolutely harrowing. It really oh, is. Yeah. It, and it made me think, you know, and I, I don't have any context for what, A, what being a parent is like, but also, B, what being, like, a 70s parent was like. But I can't watch this and not think about things like Don't Look Now and things like yeah. The Changeling and these sort of, like, mundane's the wrong word because I think, you know, the death of a child no matter how it happens probably wouldn't be mundane but something like choking on an apple or falling in a lake or just being in a car accident these very sort of things that it seems like there was a lot of everyday fear permeating for parents in the 70s and this is one of the most brutal images of it to me because it's so matter of fact it's so sort of they're trying so desperately to at least understand what they could do and they're absolutely helpless and it's it's almost not even as operatic as like the the drowning of don't look now it's just nope at home very domestically in the kitchen nothing you can do about it
1: yeah Yeah, domestic was the word i was just about to use was saying it's like it's very much a kind of like a very mundane domestic horror isn't it Mm -hmm. it really sells
2: it it really leaves you devastated very very early in the film uh, which is one of my favorite things about it i mean overall you know i don't know if anyone has officially named a genre as such but I, i would always count my favorite horror as sad horror and <laughs> to me this is a shining example of
0: it i'm not I mean, going to argue with that there's uh, i i'll <laughs> yeah. be honest i found it difficult to mine this one for lols
1: <laughs> yeah it was the same so yeah it's obviously we understand that uh this incident causes katie's death next up we see julia awakening in this medical facility and we see a doctor kind of cautioning on The long-term psychological effects on these kinds of traumas i think that like it's trying to steer you in the direction that as this widens out you could be looking at an unreliable narrator story like i think it's trying to plant that seed at this point to me anyway
2: absolutely yeah i I, yeah and of course that becomes i I think a huge through line throughout the movie which i think is an interesting thing to come back around to when we when we near sort of the end of the movie and kind of where you think it all ends up because i think it rides a very interesting line
1: absolutely yeah i think so i think so i i yeah i think that it balances those elements in a really nice way
2: but the, what's great about not only on the, I guess, the unreliable nature of her waking up, but that whole opening up until she buys a new apartment, you know, that opening shot I love, which is from across the street and you see Katie in the window and then come around to meet Mia Farrow at the bay window. Mm-hmm. There's like an aquarium esque quality to a lot of the first. 10 minutes or so, which feels not only like you're looking in on a, on a particular life that you're not involved in yet, but that she's not in control of it. You know, you're not in the kitchen with her at the beginning until the camera enters the house, until Magnus comes down and mm. is kind of pointing like, I need your signature here. This is a trust. And then in the hospital, she gets woken up and it's sort of like, good morning, you're out of here today. Uh, yeah. You know, he says it in much more clinical terms, but she doesn't have much control and it, they're, they're hammering that home in a lot of very interesting ways. And then when she leaves, I found it so interesting that when she gets the apartment, you go in with her, take the tour with her, yeah. and you're very much in Julia's interior now, which I love.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. That was actually the next thing I was going to say. I think that um, it's really cool how much, you're right, You just it just immediately gets inside her head and you're very much living her story from just the way that you see her kind of like moving into this new place. And... I love how willing the film is to just devoting a little bit of time to really setting the scene because a lot of kind of the most distressing and the most interesting and the, and the kind of the stuff that's going to move the story forward and stuff happens in here. I think it's really nice that the film takes so long to let you familiarize yourself with that space.
2: Absolutely. I, it's a great subversion in the sense of as you go on, you... You start to think, even though it is her interior, are we really in her space, right? Like, there's a lot of questioning whose house is it, you know, is she in control, all that kind of stuff.
0: I think that's illustrated by the fact that she just buys a fully furnished house. Everything's there, everything's ready to go. Mm-hmm. So it does immediately, like, what, like who, who sells that house with everything in it? Why is the house being sold with everything in it? Especially when she she, she makes her way upstairs and you find that there's a bunch of of kids' clothes and kids' toys and stuff still there. So I, I, I really like that. And the, the score here is... the fact, the score throughout is incredible.
1: It's amazing. Isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, Colin Towns, Mitch, who did uh, Rawhead Rex, which I've done in the show before. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. 119 yeah. episodes ago. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: really, that's amazing. Like, I was, yeah, I think the score, the score is incredible. Uh, I think that um, especially when it's kind of underscored and kind of like heavy, but kind of more minimal kind of emotional notes. I think it's a really, really great.
2: Yeah, it's a really great medium, I think, between sort of uh, a classical quality with electronic Affectation. I wrote down. I called it an insidious, electronically informed lullaby, which I feel like kind of
1: wow yes. seeds throughout yeah. the whole movie. I think that's a very good assessment. We do understand, and it's kind of it's it's obviously very heavily implied, but we kind of hear out loud that she's left Magnus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wise move. <laughs> um and we know this from a meeting that she has with magnus's sister lily who i think is an interesting character
0: <laughs> sure
1: um i i, I like the, the the way that she can kind of because she she obviously has a lot of time for uh, julia i think that it's interesting that you get to see her be this kind of very engaged spectator on both sides
2: yes very much you know and and you know on both sides in the middle the whole thing you know you i you sort of feel for her when she's in that scene with magnus who's eking information out of her yeah mm-hmm, definitely which i think is a really interesting way to play it versus versus just sort of being a spy for Magnus, it really does feel like there's some conflict and an understanding of Julia's position, which I think adds to the, the kind of overall sadness of the movie and everyone in it.
0: But then I, I also got this this feeling from Lily that she kind of takes advantage of Julia as well because during our conversation with Magnus, she's talking about how uh, I actually quite like her, but it, f- it feels like that's like I've kind of grown to like her, but I'm still going to continue to kind of... Yes manipulate her i'm still going to take advantage of her so i can have this crazy seance at her house it just seems like very much like everyone's out with the exception of mark i would say who kind of feels like he's deep deep in the friend zone <laughs> I, I think everyone is kind of out to kind of take their pound of fleshing away from julia
2: yeah magnus even says in that moment um you know what will happen to us like it very clearly riding that sort of what's at stake should julia leave him Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. you know she is essentially supporting the people around her who are all taking advantage of that support and and really does color in just how kind of much of a bummer it is i love it i love this bummer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like when you said this was a sad ghost story you are not fucking kidding and
2: mark is like the only injection of life (laughs) every time you go to his apartment there's like music playing there's jukeboxes there's all this kind of stuff and i love the way that continues to be a huge contrast as julia keeps retreating
0: mm, yeah yeah in fact it gets i would say it gets more the further she retreats the kind of kind of like the more and more that mark's store comes to life in a way.
2: yeah oh yeah the louder it gets the, the more colorful it gets it, it does a the movie does a great job of really building that contrast and building it so much that you are in the interior with julia you go to Mark's and you're like, wow, this is almost kind of annoying, even though it's actually how things could and should be.
1: Yeah, I hear that because like, yeah, like, I think that because everything that you see in Julia's house is so minimal, whenever you see anything like that with Mark, it feels really garish and overwhelming.
2: His coats are not garish and overwhelming. however <laughs> There's a lot of
0: sheepskin coats in this film.
2: I love it. The big white coat when Julia first leaves the hospital runs across the street. I was like, love that coat, love her overalls in the kitchen. Love her like I'm entering this house outfit with the big trench coat and the hat. It almost looked like Mako Kaji and a uh, female prisoner scorpion, uh, it was fantastic.
1: <laughs> I wanna ask a question really quickly just because I was watching this right before we recorded and I looked down to take a note and I missed something. Right. Um, so I just I just want somebody to plug a hole in my knowledge here. Um. So the next thing that happens really here is that we see her going to the park and it is kind of fairly weird behavior because she sits taking photos there, has another, her second hallucination of Katie. What is it that she does that makes her get so aggressively told to piss off by that woman?
0: Oh, well, you get this uh, when she gets to the park. You kind of you see this little kid sitting playing with his tortoise toys, and then there's a moment where Julia believes again because she she started by this point to see kind of visions of Katie uh, or what she believes to be Katie. It's kind of like yep. a, a blonde figure in the crowd, and she sees the same thing again in the park, and she kind of hunts down the the figure and where the figure was standing as a dead tortoise in a knife.
1: Okay, got you. Sam, you mentioned Don't Look Now earlier. Mm-hmm. And And um, I think that the hallucinations of Katie that we see do remind me I don't look now, but I think that it's always good when you see something that reminds you or feels you feel like it's taking a cue from something else, um, and it doesn't make you want to just immediately go and watch that great film. Because most of the time when I see something taking a cue from Don't Look Now, I just immediately want to go and watch Don't Look Now. Which it didn't happen here.
2: (laughs) No, no. I think it's more indicative. uh, I agree with you. You know, there's there's often that happens, especially especially when movies more explicitly reference other films, and you're just going like, "Well, I'd rather watch that." Yeah. But I think this is really indicative of um, a a despairing sort of dreaminess in things like this, and "Don't Look Now" and "Let's Scare Jessica to Death." It kind of hangs. It it sways. I, I feel like the movies. I feel like these movies sway, and I love that feeling.
0: I feel like mm-hmm. in all of them, there's this real obvious sorrow at the loss that your main characters have always endured. But then there's always it's always tinged with this "what if" kind of hopeful quality uh, that I guess would account for that swing that you're talking about.
2: Oh, absolutely. There, there is because because when Julia first moves in, you know, and I'm sure some of it is her trying to convince herself she's on the up, but. There really is these moments, there there are these moments where she is smiling and she is at least enjoying that she's having some autonomy or what she thinks is autonomy. There's like, I laughed so hard when she goes to pick up Chinese Takeout and she tells him if it's not any good, she's going to come back and punch him in the nose. And I don't know what that like very specific. I can only assume '70s sort of humor is, but it was so cute and kind of funny. And you need that. You need that moment where, oh, she could rebuild.
1: Yeah, and it does. And it does feel like those moments. That is exactly what it's trying to do, isn't it? Like, like you say, whether we are supposed to believe it or if it's just that it's important that she believes it. We're seeing her kind of trying to like get a little bit of agency back.
2: Oh, absolutely. Is it real? Is it manufactured? You know, is it somewhere in the middle? You know, are these like? fleeting moments authentic you know there's that great moment where she runs out it's a legit jump scare right she runs out of the door and sees herself in the mirror that mark's carrying
1: yeah. and <laughs> yeah. I was so i
2: was so struck by that because hey it's great it works i jump um mm-hmm. but it's also just like i i think that's another reason that i'm i'm always sad this movie's not more well known because i think of that i see that as one of the great jump scares it's unsubtle in what it's doing it's unsubtle in what it's showing you but it works so well you know just someone confronted with themselves and that's what's scary it's great
1: i think also just from a just from a like strictly audience like just bare bones effectiveness perspective i think one of the reasons why that jump scare works so well is because it's not a film that's currency is jump scares yes so i thought i think that like the fact that it has basically that one and it's so nicely and so slightly executed that i think that yeah it's more impactful for that i think
2: and what it does from there is the film does become an atmosphere where you're worried anything can happen. And I think it's really trading on how it got you with that early scene. One of the reasons I think this film is kind of modern, and I think if it was more well-known, I would call it influential, but maybe it's just sort of a progenitor of modern haunted house movies, Mm -hmm. is how it uses the wide frame. There's so much inky blackness yeah. around the characters. You're constantly searching the frame for something. You know, it's, it's a lot of what you see in things like Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor or even Hereditary. Uh, and it's really very beautifully executed here because nothing ever really shows up. But you are always worried that something might.
1: Which is all that really needs to do. Exactly. Onwards to the seance um, at Julia's house here. And my favorite and character, Mrs. Flood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Great hat for the, the the British listeners out there. Uh, she used to be in Eastenders, Mitch.
1: Oh wow, really?
0: Yeah, back in the day like when it started. It was quite a big character also, by the way, an extra. Oh,
2: another one we have
1: already covered. Which was <laughs>
0: which was actually uh directed by the guy who adapted
2: Peter Straub's book. Oh, that's right. really fascinating. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Jeez.
1: And Sam, if you're not familiar, Eastenders is an incredibly enduring British soap. It's also
2: incredibly I, depressing. I'm familiar in its legacy. I've never seen it, but I do.
1: I know at least the. I,
2: I have the understanding that it is an influential, long-running. Yeah, so like, yeah like, Maybe it's delightful. It, like, oh, I don't know. I've never seen it.
1: Uh, you know what? I've I, I've probably seen a total of about seventeen minutes of it in my thirty-four years on this earth. <laughs> but um, but, but absolute British institution for television.
0: I uh, have to say that when when Lily gets in touch with Julia here to ask if she can use her house for a seance. I think it's bare face cheek to invite you and all your friends over to someone's house at 9pm. That's bedtime.
2: <laughs> Forget that you're asking to do a seance in the home of a woman who's recently lost her child. You're truly intruding on her bedtime.
1: yeah like uh, it was only when everybody assembled and sat down to do the silence that i was like is it just me or is this in really bad taste oh it's deeply bad taste, and it's also another one of those great indicators
2: throughout the movie of you know uh when julia asks if she could sit next to mark and mrs flood goes oh she can sit where she likes it's her house and you're like is it no one (laughs) seems to be acting like it's her house (laughs)
0: yeah Mark doesn't even really voice any
2: concern
0: or even take it aside and say, look, are you really sure you want to do this? It seems like it could be a kind of triggering event.
2: Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I think he also gets to like, he's the type of guy that lets these things get uh, get ahead of him. He's like, Mm, Mm -hmm. you know, he's exactly the type of dude that'll be like, yeah, whatever, I'm saying sometimes. (laughs)
1: also um i think like uh, mrs flood pays him kind of like a very superficial compliment like fairly early on in the exchange and i think at that point he's just like yeah and just lets everything (laughs) happen after that (laughs) but yeah mrs flood for an experienced medium uh visibly shaken by something and i quite like the fact i think that the film does a really smart thing here because obviously like say she gets this kind of like this major disturbance she sees something in there that uh, worries her and another one of the kind of interchangeable friends at the party falls down the stairs everyone clears out when julia is kind of like setting mrs flood down for a rest she says that she's had a vision of a child um obviously the film sells you quite hard on the fact that the child is katie and this opens up this narrative of the presence in the house that julia's feeling being katie and to be honest and again this is this might be me being naive film viewer but i just got on board with that and just assumed that that was what was happening because and i think that this the story winds out in a really really smart way that i would never have telegraphed obviously but like um i was sold so hard on the fact that this was just going to be a straight ghost story of the presence of her kid in the house and i think that the reason that some of the later stuff is so effective is because the film so convincingly grounds you in the idea that the ghostly presence in the house is katie
2: i agree and and i also agree how it expands out continues not only surprising you but leading you down a darker path because okay it's not katie now you're talking about a murdered young boy who is very sympathetic right mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. even opens up this idea of of maybe a million other ghost stories of especially one centered around motherhood well maybe i can help him or maybe i can be his mother yeah. and i love that it 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 takes that step and you're sort of like, Okay, that's the journey she's gonna go on. And then it takes this the second step of it really, you know, we're gonna keep talking about don't look now, but that sort of that real hurt at the end of Don't Look Now of just like, no, you're you're not seeing her. You're being led down a really fucked up path.
0: That is fair because the film kept wrong footing me to a massive degree. I had no idea going into this film that it was going to get as dark as it does in terms of the story about the murdered boy and how the house and the hauntings connected to that i was just like what 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 hang on and it just kept opening up and getting darker and darker and darker um which i was massively impressed by because i had no idea
2: it's a great subversion i you know we've entered such a popular consciousness of the ghost that needs help the bones that need dug up and for for the haunting to be something evil something worse you know i i see a line to the ring you know that you found the body but you set her free kind of stuff i love that
1: yeah i I mean i'm quite happy to say at an absolute bare minimum i would say that the way this narrative winds out wrong-footed me at least twice when i say wrong-footed i mean like me having a very deeply entrenched idea of where i thought it was headed and then it going somewhere that was smarter and more interesting and had a little bit more emotional heft and things like that
2: absolutely i think that's probably what really drew me in when i first saw it years ago and 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 even you know today because I I haven't seen it in some years, so I forgot a lot of the detail. And being reminded of the twists it takes, I found myself kind of leaning in in the exact same way and being really excited to watch it again, Mm -hmm. which I think is the best thing you can say about any movie that you really like. I, I know it, but now I'm thrilled to see it again and mm-hmm. even now i was thinking today like oh can't wait till the next time i watch it can't wait till the next time i get to show it to somebody who hasn't seen it it's
1: it's really nice to hear that like after a few years of not seeing it that like when you picked it for this and came back to it with fresh eyes you got so much out of it again
2: it's also just like really beautifully designed and i think the biggest thing i took away was probably what i said earlier it strikes me as so modern in a way that i, I wasn't expecting i was expecting it to have a bit more of it, of course it has the 70s feel both in in costume design and wallpaper and sure. A lot of the great aesthetic, but really, from a camera point of view, the way the camera moves, the way the camera sets up, it felt very modern. It felt very like it could be in league with a modern haunted house film. Maybe not as as loud, maybe it's not as yeah. you know shocking with the stings, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it worked in a lot of the same way, and I was really impressed.
1: Are you thinking? Are you thinking modern in like an A twenty four kind of way?
2: I think so, or or even just in modern construction of, of straight up ghost stories. You know, the stuff that Mike Flanagan and James Wan are mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. The way they're using the camera to pull you into rooms and make you doubt that you're on any sure footing in any sort of room is what I think this movie is doing. You know, every scene that has the lingering possibility that there's a ghost breathes. It breathes and it lets you sort of live in your suspense. And I think that really is the orchestration that you're seeing. You know the guys who do really well the modern masters pull off
1: i think that the scene after this or after what we've just been talking about kind of speaks to that because uh we lose magnus at this point i was gonna say for better or worse but definitely for better but um (laughs) but he breaks into the house and the run-up to him dying and like obviously kind of like hearing this noise in the basement that he assumes is julia he goes and investigates it slips falls cuts his neck on a bottle I think that in terms of, like, you see him in the house for so long, being kind of slightly perturbed in different ways in loads of rooms that he goes into. I think that the way this entire sequence plays out kind of speaks to what you're saying about letting scenes breathe in that way.
2: Absolutely. I I think that sequence is really smartly constructed. And he does a great job in that scene, too, of being the sort of person who is breaking a little bit as he goes throughout the house. Mm -hmm. He's trying so hard to hold on to his control over Julia. And the actor does an amazing job of letting those doubts seep in and letting those fears seep in and trying to keep hold of it. And once he gets into the basement, that's again, they really let that breathe, which I think is really significant to his to his ultimate death. Because I think in a lot of other films of lesser quality, even today, they would rush. They would rush right up to something happening, him falling. And I think the orchestration of it is what makes this work and makes it work on repeat viewings.
0: Yeah, agree, okay. Andy. Yeah, absolutely agree. I've got nothing else to add to that. You've both said everything that I would have said.
2: <laughs> I do um, love the little guy who tries to block him from breaking into the yeah, house, and I kind of wish he punched Magnus. I was like, oh man, you're so close to just hitting this dude. Go for it, Hit yeah. Magnus,
0: I like though that we learned that he wasn't badly injured. He just picked up a, a bit of a bruise on his <laughs> elbow, so everything's fine.
2: Yeah, I felt
1: the same thing.
2: I I don't know, and maybe this just could be the resolution I was watching it on, but there was a sense, once Magnus dies and the blood pools, for a second, once the blood starts pooling, it almost looks like a pair of shoes step into frame. Oh, okay. there was something about that. I don't know if I'm making that up or if it just looked like that to me. But uh, I really liked it. I really liked the construct of it. I was like, oh, it, it, it kind of added to the ghostliness of everything.
0: It, it wouldn't really surprise me, given that we do kind of see, I guess, the ghost in corporeal form a couple of times to an extent. Like when Julia's in bed and the ghost's like caressing her face and her lips and her nose and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so it I wouldn't massively surprise me if that was something that you
2: did see or maybe the movie is, maybe it's playing tricks on me, like it's playing tricks on Julia. Love it. Oh, man. Drive me crazy.
1: (laughs) We do meet the wife of the very vigilante we were just talking about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Claudia Branscombe, who uh, shows up long enough to drop some fairly pivotal exposition on us, uh, particularly about the prior occupant of the house. And I think that this marks where the story kind of broadens in scope in a really cool way. It's the the first kind of what I consider to be kind of like a fake out in the sense that you think that understanding the story of Mrs. Rudge is the key to getting this. And obviously there's a lot more to it than that. But we do understand that Mrs. Rudge was the previous occupant of the house who moved away after the mysterious death of her daughter, Olivia.
0: Yeah. Uh, who died mysteriously after swallowing
2: something? Hmm.
1: <laughs> full circle. Ultimately. Yeah. Just out of curiosity actually, and this is just a complete sideline, but just out of curiosity, see the Full Circle versus the Haunting of Julia title dichotomy. What's the story there? Is there one?
2: Uh, I don't I honestly I don't know, but I do know that the film actually sat on the shelf a bit. So it was made in seventy six. I think was ready for seventy seven, but some of the reviews, the early reviews I was looking at, would see would indicate it didn't come out until eighty one. Or maybe it played a little bit as Haunting of Julia or one of the titles, maybe it played a little bit as Full Circle in seventy seven, but not much, and then was in proper release or full release in eighty one. I don't I don't have all the facts, but okay. I I would guess the title change has something to do with the discrepancy between years.
1: That makes sense. I think that it's really funny and very indicative of just kind of like what's presumably normal talk at the time when um chloe is in there and like i say she she tells the story about mrs roge she also understands or learns that julia has separated from magnus and she blames the epidemic of marriage separations in america on uh, birth control which is a hot take
2: big hot take oh wait i we wait, I, I have a hot take question actually specifically oh, okay. for you guys. is is this movie anti-coffee or is the uk anti-coffee
0: I would say that. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, that's, a lo- that's a loaded question. I don't want. Uh, I loaded. don't want big teams okay, about from to
2: derail me. this
0: thing. <laughs> the Tetley the heavies from Tetley coming for me but uh, I I (laughs) firmly believe that there is such a kind of focus even in like kind of globally everyone seems to associate people in the UK with drinking a lot of tea I I don't know if there was if there's ever been a massive bias against coffee necessarily although there isn't there isn't (laughs) certainly isn't this film but I think it just plays into that you're British you should be drinking tea idea that uh, just never goes away and it's kind of ever present and everything
1: yeah i would say that the narrative that this film is trying to feed you is uh less anti-coffee as much as it is militantly pro-tea which i think is I get, probably okay, a reasonable reflection of uh the national opinion towards that i personally myself am more of a coffee drinker but i'm in the minority
2: i i really love that in two scenes time was taken out to be like excuse me no tea <laughs> coffee the guy from troll two who like He's like, milk, blah, eggs, bleh. <laughs> He should have him pop in. Coffee, <laughs>
1: Um Yeah, m- m- Mrs. Flood especially, I think, finds, finds the offer of coffee particularly offensive to her sensibilities. But she's willing to be
2: paid in tea. I see it. It's, big tea has a hold over this film. Yeah, this I, I, I definitely
0: think there's some tea dollars involved in here somewhere.
1: The Illuminati. Oh, very good. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, speaking of mrs flood though uh julia's investigation takes her back to there at this point and it is at this point as well that she so and also mrs flood visibly shaken up still the, from this entire venture but she does mention or does kind of like shed a little bit more light on the vision of the child that she spoke about and obviously kind of subverts the assumption that it was katie she says that it's a boy bleeding to death in a park That's right. I remember thinking at this point, because obviously you see Julia then going off to try and investigate these things and to figure out what this could be referring to. And when you saw her kind of going and uh, doing all this kind of like intrepid investigation stuff, I think it was at that point that I took a step back from this. And I was like, Jesus, this has departed so far, story-wise, from where I thought it was going to go. Like, I did not expect to be watching this film at this point, if that makes sense.
2: It does. Isn't that fun, though? Isn't that, like, yeah, such a fun what... feeling of, like, we're going on a journey?
0: That's what you want. I, I liked when the investigation angle appeared and it kind of broadened out. To I love people looking through old papers and looking through microfiche, looking for answers. I could take that stuff all day.
2: I just love when it actually feels like you are unfurling the mystery, too. Yeah. Obviously, this is a classic sort of construct, I think, not only in horror but in like mysteries and thrillers and things like that but it takes skill to really feel like you're you're along for the ride not just having things told to you and i think this does it really nicely recently revisited the omen and the sort of journey gregory peck goes on to keep finding out more is a great thing it's a great mm. feeling i wish more people would uh take advantage of it
0: yeah there's nothing worse than watching a film where you're maybe two or three steps ahead of the main character and you can kind of see where it's going so when this investigation phase kind of kicks in You're you're already like, yeah, I know, I know. And I never for a second got that with this film.
1: No, the absolute opposite, I think. I felt like I was kind of fighting to keep up with it more than feeling like I was ahead of it. And she does find an article about a child called Jeffrey Braden and I know that I said that Mrs. Flood was my favourite kind of like ancillary character, but she does go to investigate the murder of Jeffrey Braden. So he was a young child who was murdered in a park uh, decades earlier. And we meet his mother, Greta Braden, who I think is potentially only in this scene. And yeah. she is amazing. Right. Immediate gravitas. I loved it.
0: It's a very strong performance for what it is. And I think... Uh... It does a really good job as well of kind of speaking to the hysteria and the prejudice that was in the UK at that time, still surrounding people, German people who had chosen to come to the UK. Um, I don't know if you remember much, but my mum was on that TV show a few years ago where they kind of looked into her past and stuff, and um, her granddad was a German prisoner of war. And um, Mm -hmm. when he kind of got released and started working and trying to get by in the UK... Up until he died, there was still, and that was in the early eighties. Up until he died, there was still massive prejudice against Germans in the aftermath of the war.
2: I mean, I think when you watch it, at least you know from my perspective, I I don't think I'm as aware of something that culturally specific. Yeah, but I think it it's impactful when you're watching it and you understand the sort of pain, which I think really is a boon to this movie. And her performance is so fantastic. Of she, you know, she's not really actively doing anything to them but you really get the sense of the pain that lingers because of these kids and because of that sentiment i think
1: that this entire angle is amazing again we get so little of Greta right here and she's so good but basically she said that um this vagrant was arrested this kind of harmless guy was kind of just scapegoated for this murder and she has this theory and obviously the real narrative that he was tortured and killed in this hate crime because he was german and because of the crimes adjacency to the end of world war ii and I remember thinking it was just like again I was kind of wrong-footed by it, but also I think that it handles that stuff in such an authentic way. It's like I think it's really, really interesting. I didn't expect it to go that way, and I think that when you see films, even now, when you see see films going down those kinds of roads, you're like, mm, okay, I hope you know what you're doing, yeah, narratively. And I think it gets it dead on. Personally, um, she gives the name of two implicated adults here: Paul Winter and David Swift. The interactions that we have with these two are very different, but both great. I think
0: that first is up.
2: Yes. He is, yeah, in his sort of hall of pianos, uh, but they're both really great in, di- <laughs> in different ways, right? Like the one who's resigned to sort of his fate and what happened and the other who just sort of didn't is in full denial. Yeah. I-, I really liked both interactions. I think they both really add quite a lot to the film and the mythology of...
1: Olivia. I think it's cool. I think that it's, it's it's a sensible way to play it, but it's cool that you kinda of see these two ends of the spectrum where you've got and forgive me if I'm getting the names the wrong way around, but you've got I think Paul Winter is the one that she sees first who yeah. is kind of clams up very hard and basically is like the she should stay dead kind of angle.
0: I would have liked to have seen him get his comeuppance because I I know that he was like involved in the death of Jeffrey, but I don't know like he's just such an unlikable character. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what I was shooting for there was comeuppance, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he seems to have gotten away with it relatively
2: relatively scot-free.
1: It's incredibly unsatisfying to me that he doesn't get comeuppance and David does, considering he comes across like much the nicer guy.
2: Maybe he gets it because he actively yells at Julia. (laughs) You know, like one guy is just like, listen, I'm done with it. Don't say anything about it. Please leave. And the other guy is like, I'm going to tell you everything, but I'm also going to scream at you as you leave my home.
0: There is is something to be said for that, what you've just said though, Sam, because that first guy, he seems to have got on with his life. He's made something of himself. He seems to be doing quite well for himself. Like you say, he's like, look, I'm done. The past is the past. It should stay in the past. What's dead is dead. Um, but this other guy being certainly seems like he's not had anywhere near the life that the other guys had. He hasn't been able to move away from it, and this has very much dominated him as a person. And I think like he's kind of living in this shitty little flat, and it seems like he mm-hmm. views talking about the incident with Jeffrey as an excuse to get it off his chest. I think so,
2: and I think they're you know the way they talk about it. I think it means something that he that Smith brings up sex. Mm. And there's at least some indication of trauma and abuse yeah. that has kept him in this state. You know, they they likely had different experiences with Olivia or how Jeffrey died, and him bringing that up struck me as you know because he said in one way or the other, and I thought that was a really interesting way of putting yeah. it. You know, in one way or the other, really sounds to me you know like non consensual, like being overtaken in a really harsh way
0: yeah i, yeah. I had to i, I, so I got an, an impression that perhaps she orchestrated abuse between the other children doing stuff to each other mm-hmm.
1: um which i found quite disturbing very much this kind of like this massively sadistic through line by the sounds of it
2: which is a really interesting thing to introduce into this movie this sort of element of you know, it's always fascinating to me when movies cross-pollinate subgenres, and I and I think other people may not think of it like that, but you know, we we watch a lot of horror movies. We categorize them. We think of them in specific lineages and legacies and subgenres. So to throw in that there was this like killer kid existing and doing things in the middle of all of this—that's not just like a ghost story or a tragic or one tragic murder—was really fascinating to me. And I almost would now be curious to see the the solely Olivia movie, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's like I, I kind of feel like when we talk about films like this, we often trip onto the universe-building films that we would like to see. <laughs> and I think that yeah, if we, if, we, if you were going to start introducing like a Wandaverse-style backstory to this, then I think that that would be the sensible first place to go.
2: Just the most depressing cinematic universe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the most depressing cinematic universe since the Requiem for a Dream CU. <laughs> Um, but we do find out that, yeah, that she orchestrated the murder of uh, Jeffrey Braden, which we hear about here in extreme detail. That is horrific. Sure. Uh, that is a horrendous conversation, a horrendous exchange. And for the purposes of this lighthearted podcast, I won't dig into them. David is next to die after uh, she leaves. Because like you say, this conversation gets really volatile and she takes off. And it's after she leaves that he slips on a broken bottle and also dies.
0: This is great. It has deaths and quite the spectacle.
2: Oh, yeah. I love the, the sort of over the banister. That's a, you know, I feel like we've lost the art of going... Going over banisters and falling from great heights. And <laughs> yep. this sets it up beautifully. You know, he like tumbles. It has that great wide sort of tilted, yeah. really sets up the proximity between him and that beautiful floor.
1: It's great. Potentially weird thing to say, but favorite death? in here i would say Much we're horror fans
0: Uh, we've got favorite deaths in every single film every film yeah
1: (laughs) i have a question about the pattern of these deaths Hmm. what do you believe is kind of causing these obviously we understand that we we come to understand like who the presence is in the house Uh what is the pattern to the way that these people are dying because i can kind of understand magnus dying in the house right because i think in a lot of ways this kind of feels like an insular haunted house story at least in the beginning
0: so your question really is why magnus right which kind of speaks for itself why Swift, which also kind of speaks for itself, but then why Mark?
1: Yeah, right. basically, yeah. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of trying to establish, if there is one, a pattern in my mind about the deaths of the ancillary characters in this.
2: I think it might be twofold, one of which is those who were in proximity to Olivia and those who are in proximity to Julia and sort of working to either isolate her or rehabilitate her. You know, Mark is like the one good thing that she has, but he really doesn't totally buy into what's happening, and so I think by that point Olivia is kind of living, you know, a, a living presence with Julia. She's she's around. It's not she's not just confined to the house. And I think we see that at the asylum especially. So so I think it, the Mark thing is really just sort of getting rid of these other factors so that it's it's really just Julia.
1: Okay. I'm yeah. Just, I'm, just... I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know what? I looked for an answer. It's a good one. <laughs> we are kind of like closing in on the end of this thing after david dies um because we do lose mark as we mentioned by a lamp mysteriously falling into a bathtub and um, electrocuting him i felt a bit sorry to see mark go i kind of feel like he was a pretty solid kind of support for and things like that i don't like i think he came across as quite likable probably kind of was on the skepticism train for a little too long
0: right okay well he never gets he never gets a chance to get off it
1: this is very true uh because he immediately dies i want to talk about when julie I heads to see Mrs. Rudge in the psychiatric hospital at the end of this. Sure. And I keep on talking about these great performances by these actors who are in it for one scene. And Mrs. Rudge, I think, here is brilliant because I love the fact that, you know, like what you have at the beginning here when she comes in and she starts talking to her and they're exchanging the kinds of pleasantries you'd exchange with maybe like a dementia afflicted old person or something like that uh it's this 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 kind of very superficial just leaving her to kind of talk in circles a little bit and the minute that she mentions olivia i love the way that you can just like you can kind of see the change kind of ripple across her face and I think that that individual moment performance wise is amazing
2: and the escalation from there, admission it's uh, it's awesome I think these these very specific one you, they go so much further than I think a lot of very boring exposition does
1: yeah and, and, I, and I think a lot of that is in the presentation we've spoken about it it's like we have that and we have Greta Braden earlier on it's like when this film is feeding you the scraps that you need to move it forward it does it in these very accomplished very slick extremely well written and extremely extremely well-performed sequences that are really indelible in the way that they're put together. Absolutely.
2: And I think it's interesting the way everyone kind of is so lively around Mia Farrow. Hmm, yeah. You know, she really is lost not only in her own grief, but in this unfurling sort of haunting slash psychosis. Um, it's subdued. And I, I look at some of the reviews, you know, a lot of reviews at the time weren't kind, which is something that kind of blows my mind because I really do think this is a special film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they really see saw her performance as sort of just fizzling and fizzling out and i think it's a great counterpoint to a lot of what's going on around
1: her yeah i completely agree you're right it's like there's there's so much not hysteria but there's people kind of hitting emotional and performance extremes in a way that she isn't and that is interesting
2: yeah And and they're all dealing with these very specific you know memories and traumas and losses and she is as well but she's so much more accepting maybe because it's so raw you know she says in the movie that a lot of this takes place only a month or so or two months after katie died so it's a very raw nerve and I, i don't think has settled into this you know scab that you pick at or or lose your mind over where she's just sort of accepting of the phenomena around her and within her own mind it's very cool
1: yeah i agree and i think that that's probably true i mean like because obviously we get this kind of non-specific chronology jump at the start from the incident to her getting out of hospital but you've got no real reason to believe that she's had any time to process her heal before like ahead of the julia that we see for the rest of the film no but we do find out at this point that mrs rudge killed olivia because olivia was evil fair play yeah i would say based on the evidence as we understand <laughs> it that's a reasonable 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 take
0: that's it match that's it keep uh, saying that it's fine to commit infanticide on the show <laughs>
1: I have nice, I've said that a couple of weeks in a row now, I guess. But um, she spooks Julia into leaving, kind of by this this very extreme reaction, then immediately has a heart attack. Julia heads home, and we go into the final scene of this, and I think that the final scene of this is incredibly striking, I think.
2: Oh, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I also I do love the moment of, of the eyes, the eyes that force her to have the heart attack, and oh, sorry. that, yes, that real yeah. line of Olivia inhabiting. It's great. And to me, it's a great indication of, you know, I I, I think, of course, people can come away from this movie with separate interpretations because we're going to talk about the final scene. But I think to me, that's the type of thing that's a confirmation of what's going on here.
1: I would say so. And we do pull into the final scene at this point. And Julia comes home and we see her kind of milling around in the house a little more. We just kind of get to live in that space for a little bit longer. And then she sees Olivia. Yes. of all people, playing with the clapping monkey toy that was Katie's favourite from the beginning
0: Chekhov's clapping clown
1: yes, <laughs> the very same uh, <laughs> she has this conversation or this like imagined a reel with Olivia where she kind of invites her to stay in this kind of surrogate mother-child relationship type setup or at least that was my take she approaches for a hug and we see kind of eventually that Julia's throat's been cut, presumably by the sharp edge on that toy or by something else but I really love the reveal of how you see that, that kind of slow pan around the chair.
0: That final shot of Mia Farrow in that chair with the blood and the pitch black background behind her is an incredible final shot, actually.
1: Um, as credit sequences go, it's one of the best ones that I've possibly ever seen. It's, it's also, so cool. it's
2: ter- terribly brutal to do that to the audience, just... Mm. Freezing that on that image and just letting it linger as the credits roll. Yeah, I I find that very bold. Totally agree. I do love right before she goes downstairs and sees Olivia in the living room, that great bit of her seeing Olivia in the mirror and then turning around and following her. But when she turns around and we come back. We only see Julia following out, no Olivia. And Olivia has this, you know, I don't want to like go too hard on it, but she does have this dress. And there, there's there's almost this through the looking glass, Alice in Wonderland quality where, you know, Julia is now, she's giving herself over. She's fully through and and that's the end. That's it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, you're right. It's, and it's important to touch on that. Yeah, like the, the kind of lead up to that. I think it sells that really nicely. It's great.
2: Oh man, and that shot around the chair. You're absolutely right. The way it goes from her reaching her arms out and then to that image of her sort of death, and it, it really is kind of what, you know, hammers home the sadness of it all and, and the idea of sad horror to me and, and lingering on that image. I love movies that leave you like longing and leaving you just kind of sad, leaving you a little deflated. It's weirdly what I look for in my horror movie. <laughs>
1: I think you're right, though, as well. And I think that, again, you were talking about the fact that, you know, by nature, we all watch a lot of stuff that have endings that are kind of a bummer. And I think that that's a massive understatement for how this ends. But um, I think that when you see so much of that stuff, it's easy to forget how devastating this would be to like your average audience member as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So much. what's your read then on the, the end of this?
1: As in, what do I think is actually happening?
0: Yes. Oof.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, my reaction to this was still forming as I was sitting down to record this. I'm still not certain. I am amenable to the idea of this being a suicide you're right um in this kind of like all these people that she's had these interactions with are gone her child's gone family's gone i think that like it feeds quite nicely into this notion of the fact that you've seen her kind of be increasingly isolated as it goes on that it could be her being consumed by loss i think that's kind of the main thing that i was sitting on but i'm curious to know what everybody else thinks
2: sam you know i i always find myself in this place with films like this which i love i i think it's all true You know, I I certainly think she probably orchestrated her own death, um, Mm -hmm. or at least by her physical hand it was there. But Olivia exists, in my mind. The legacy she leaves, the things she did, her presence in that home is very real to me. And I think it's her presence and Mia Farrow's fragile state that meet for the tragic downfall. I don't think it's
1: one or the other. Right. Okay. Andy? Uh,
0: I'm inclined to believe that certainly, uh, like Sam said, that she took her own life. Uh, I had a slightly different read that she's so desperate to cling on to this final vestige of being a parent and being a mother that she takes her own life to be with this character who is unable to kind of manifest in any real way in the real world with her. Mm,
2: That's really interesting. And I do think it's really interesting the way that and, and one thing I don't know if I have a total handle on is Julia never really seems to have a condemnation of olivia you know as she goes on this journey and finds out more about her i think there's a mix of her not only being inhabited at least partly by olivia but also feeling a sympathy it's very interesting to me
1: Mm. yeah i hadn't considered that but you're right you know it's like yeah you know you never see a condemnation do you
2: a
0: lot to think about guys
1: i like (laughs) the fact that we've landed on three different interpretations as well or like kind of three kind of distinct interpretations on how it unfolded as well
2: I know. I really love that part when she goes to see Olivia's mother, and Olivia's mother is like, "You did the same thing," and she yeah. she was like, "No, and I didn't, and I wouldn't." She's appalled not only at the implication she would do something like that, but that her mother would do
1: something like that, despite how sort of evidently cruel Olivia was. Yeah. Yeah. But with that, we are out on the haunting of Julia, Andy. Yes. First watch your take.
0: Yeah, I, I really, I really, really liked this. I thought it was great. Uh, I think it. Definitely deserves more eyes on it and I think it should be mentioned alongside films that we've already talked about tonight like The Changeling. Um, I don't see any reason why The Haunting of Julia shouldn't be mentioned alongside films like that. It's a really interesting little film and it goes to some surprisingly dark places that just from reading the synopsis I would never ever have expected it to go to. It was constantly surprising me and yeah very glad you brought it along sam thank you
1: gotta echo Andy's sentiment as well i mean like i like this a lot i I was gonna say i had a great time with it that feels like (laughs) a weird way to phrase that but i thought this was great um and i totally agree that it needs more eyes on it it misdirected me a, a few times on the kind of film that i thought i was getting and the film that i got was always better if you know what i mean
0: yeah, yeah, I, I agree actually. That's yeah, there was moments when I, I was like, oh, where's this going to go next? And then it is all, it does always kind of up the stakes and kind of keep surprisingly and keep kind of shocking you in a way. And that's to its infinite credit
2: that it does that.
1: There's a lot to be said for that, Sam. I've got to tell you, like a fair bit heavier than a lot of the stuff that we generally cover. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but I am very <laughs> glad okay. that you guys took the shot for it, which is funny because I'm not. I, well, I don't, at least I don't think of myself as like a very sad person. Uh, I, I I like to, to hang tough and have a great time. Uh, but for some reason, I do feel like I seek out things like this. Maybe this is my favorite feeling in horror. I can't explain it. So I appreciate you taking on a, a bummer of a one or a heavy one or and, and giving it a shot and talking about it. Because it was really fun. I haven't talked about it in a while. And
1: I was really stoked, too. We've done the ninth configuration. We can do this. we are cruising. <laughs> We did cruising as well, that's right, yeah. Sam, this has been great, but we should talk a little bit about what's going on with Shutter, because it is October after all i am um, more than happy to what can i tell you <laughs> based on current projections this will be airing on the 23rd of october so we'll be okay. uh we'll be well into the the halloween stuff and the october stuff by then most of our listeners are in the uk but we can talk about everything um that's going on picking up a couple of things this month that have been amongst me and andy's favorites at festivals over the last f- kind of year or two cleansing Hour, we really like um life changer possum great uh, the mortuary collection though really high on both of our lists um, yeah, and a great Halloween find as well,
2: isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And it's really fun to program the whole year on Shudder because, you know, I, I mean, I love the genre, I've, I've spent so much of my life watching it. And I think you guys too, you know, when you watch a lot of horror, and care about watching a lot of horror throughout the year, it's interesting to understand the the emotion and the specificity you need in October. To yeah. me, it's a very specific feeling and it's a very like type of mode. It can't just be horror. It can't just be any horror movie you yeah. need, in my opinion, like a sense of mischief and a sense of deviousness. And Mortuary Collection is almost like the centerpiece to me of that. Like the movie is arch and fun and ghastly and ghoulie, uh <laughs> and creepy crawly. But I also love it as an anthology that comes from one mind. We see yeah. so many anthologies that are like director showcases and director reels and the shorts are loosely connected. But, like, Ryan Spindell really, like, building out a world, building out a feeling, building out an aesthetic. You don't see a lot of that, like, obviously trick-or-treat, obviously creep show. I think this fits in with those, and I love it. Like, I think it's such a crowd pleaser. Same with Cleansing Hour, which is, like, just the spookiest good time.
0: Yeah, we actually had Ryan on the show a while ago talking about it and just Um, hearing how much he went through to actually put this film together and then seeing it and seeing how accomplished it is and hearing what he said. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's remarkable that it's half as good as it is, I think, and it's uh, it's, it's it's really special. It's yeah.
2: so remarkable. I mean, I met Ryan. I think I first met Ryan in like two thousand thirteen, um, when one of his shorts was playing at Tribeca, okay. and you know he had been he's been talking about more collection since then. Um, <laughs> and when I when I started at Shutter in two thousand fifteen. I think one of the first things we did was have a call with Ryan about Mortuary Collection.
1: <laughs> really? Uh, okay.
2: And it ultimately didn't work out then. We were we were very nascent then, especially in terms of original productions and acquisitions. Sure. So it didn't really take off. But, you know, even so far back as that, one of the first things I did was like, we have to get Ryan on the phone and talk. He, I think he's such a special filmmaker. Uh, And I'm so glad we have the Mortuary Collection. I'm really proud of the whole, you know, September, October slate. Scare Me is such a special
1: movie to me as well. So obviously, like I say, we're kind of just a week shy of Halloween at this point. Do you want to talk about some of the other highlights that are particularly ones that are close to your heart?
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, this week we will have just premiered uh, a really cool movie from Spain called 32 Malasania Street. Um, This is a huge hit in Spain, a big haunted house film. It almost feels like uh, a Spanish conjuring kind of like in the way that uh, Satan Slaves feels very slick, big haunted house stuff from Indonesia. Uh, It is, I love Satan Slaves. Um, And Javier Bertet, who's in Mama and Wreck, and, you know, kind of this great presence in a lot of supernatural horrors in 32 Malasanya. It's a really fun kind of slick haunted house movie. We also will have just premiered the Boulet Brothers' Dragula Resurrection. Uh, we're bringing this amazing show, Dragula, to Shudder. Uh, the Boulet Brothers are this incredible team yeah. of drag performers, and they built out this. Of course, it's very simple to compare it to Drag Race and call it horror drag race, but their devotion to the genre and filth and horror and glamour is stunning. And the creativity that's on display, both from the Boulets and the contestants, this is a special. It takes contestants from the previous seasons And builds them into this sort of Halloween feeling special and it's this weird hybrid. There's competition, there is short film quality to it, there's documentary quality to it. I think it's gonna really knock everyone away especially if you're not familiar with Dracula and what dragula is because they kind it's of, so sick we're, we're so thrilled
0: they kind of do try to do that on Dracula anyway like the way when um when someone gets eliminated they they stage these kind of short film segments of the people dying yes so it's uh it's kind of interesting to hear that i'd be really keen to watch that because i love Dracula. i think it's great
2: oh i'm so glad to hear that we're, we really you know we really are excited to give it this home and this special i think it's going to blow a lot of people away uh, I'm really pumped. And then there's so much more. I mean, at the very end of the month, we're going to have a creep show animated special since we, right. you know, see production production on season two couldn't go forward because of COVID, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at least at the time last spring. But we figured we needed something, you know, to to keep everyone in delight. And to me, it also Halloween is a time for Halloween specials, right? Like, how do we rise above just being a horror service? You need sure. that Halloween special. So like Mike Doherty coming on and doing our streaming jack-o-lan- jack-o'-lantern and doing a trick-or-treat vlog. <laughs> Uh, and having a dragula halloween special and a creep show animated special that's halloween um that to me really makes everything feel a bit more lovingly crafted and hopefully what makes shutter special in it all uh and then uh timo gianto's may the devil take you too is just going to close the month on like a real (laughs) real splatter show it's just you know if if anyone's familiar with timo yeah you know what to expect
1: Um, When I saw that on the slate for October and especially like you say like right at the end of the month I was like that's got the feel of like the closing film at a festival to see that at the end of the slate it parties It parties so hard (laughs) (laughs) Also
0: Sam I hear that uh, you will be uh, is it for an hour a day that you'll be taking calls uh, from from subscribers
2: every Friday in October Uh, I do the Halloween hotline. Uh, There's a Google voice number. You can find it. Uh, We take them from all around the world. So please call. It's it's honestly my favorite thing to do now. It's like every Friday for an hour, I hang out and shutter members call me and I ask them, really, just go like, hey, what are you in the mood for? What's your feeling like? What's your vibe like? what are you hoping to feel this weekend and then we find a movie for them and do personalized recommendations it's so much that's cool
0: that's That's cool it's great that you you personally take the time to do that
2: honestly it's cool that people call like it's just nice meeting shutter members especially when we we started it last october and then in april brought it back for when we were doing like our halfway to halloween Mm -hmm. celebration but also everyone had just locked down so it was like four or five weeks into like worldwide quarantine Everyone sort of stuck inside and just talking to shutter members and being like, how are you? Like, what's going on? How are you feeling? (laughs) It was really
1: nice. Sam, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us tonight. Yeah. Of
2: course. Thank you for uh, inviting me. It was was very wonderful to to meet you guys and talk about this movie. And uh, I'm excited to go back and hear a lot more of, of everything you guys have been introduced to.
0: Oh, oh yeah. cool! Yeah, there's been um, a lot more that Mitch has been introduced to than, than than I have. But uh, Sam, thank you so much <laughs> for doing this. Like, and keep absolutely killing it with shudder because you guys are amazing you're doing great stuff and um, for horror fans like all of us it's amazing to have this platform out there that is kind of just for us to, to an extent
2: i hope so it's really i you know it's truly like it's my pleasure and my privilege that i get to do this it's kind of insane that this job exists so i was gonna say i do i do Thank-
1: wonder sometimes if you have the best job in the world
2: <laughs> yeah i mean to me
1: yeah yeah sam where can uh people catch you on social media
2: uh i am on twitter at sam d zimmerman uh and you can usually find me there just talking about what's on shutter uh or making weird jokes or talking about blair witch 2 because i'm a big blair witch 2 fan
1: we Mm. have a blair witch 2 episode yeah oh And, and is it is it mean? Is it mean to Blair Witch 2? You know what? It's not mean at all. It was uh, Mitch, Wilson okay. that, Mitch Wilson that directed uh, Knucklebones. He came on and picked it. It was very, very, early, uh, like we're talking about like episode six or something. And this is like episode wow. 123. But um, but yeah, I'd never seen it until we watched it for the show. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I'm a big fan of that movie. I think it's, I, it's something.
2: It's, it's really something. And uh, I don't think the tide will ever really turn on it. But uh, I know there are a few fans out there and I appreciate them. <laughs> Sam thanks so much of course
1: so fair to say a little bit more serious face than some of the other films that we've covered but a really fun conversation there with Sam
0: yeah yep not many avenues for me to talk about dicks or wanking
1: <laughs> no, I would say that that window was pretty resoundingly closed um, yeah. this week
0: yeah but great film can't recommend that enough
1: Absolutely, big thank you to Director of Programming at Shudder, Mr. Sam Zimmerman, for joining us this week to talk *The Haunting of Julia* slash *Full Circle*. If you haven't seen it and anything that we've talked about in the last little while's picture Curiosity, go check it out. It's a really, really interesting film.
0: Yeah, and like we said, we're not in the habit of doing this, but there are a bunch of rips available on YouTube. We didn't upload them, so don't come at us.
1: No, and I think that, like, you know, it was the only option in front of us if we wanted to do the film, and we thought it was more important to do the film. Yeah, agreed. But with that, I guess we're just about done for another one. However, we are never gone for long. We'll be back on Monday with another minisode for your ears as we hurtle ever closer to Halloween and the big photo, sir.
0: Uh, don't remind me
1: (laughs) we'll be doing all the usual stuff though we'll be talking about what we've been watching it will be the concluding chapter in the 90s side quest oh
0: shit yeah i better get my finger out eh?
1: yeah get your list together because it's all over the 90s side quest ends i'm actually gonna have to need to go back and look and see how long this has gone on for because it's been months and months so god knows what i'll pick for a finale
0: i can only imagine
1: on top of that though we will be talking about what we've been watching this week we'll be taking a look at your feedback playing mitch's pitches and letting you know everything you need to know for next week's episode i've been saying this every week in october but next week's is a great one <laughs>
0: If we do say so ourselves.
1: I mean, not to blow our own horn, guys, but we fucking killed it in October. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in touch between now and then, keep my ego in check, maybe bust me down a peg or two. There's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at StrongViolentPC. You can email scenes at com, and you can, of course, interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Shudlocker.
0: Yep. And... Patreon. We've got one, you want to be on it. It's patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes.
1: Sure is, lots of stuff going on over there. Yeah, busy times, busy times. Go check it out. We will be back this Monday with another sode. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chats. Goodbye. Bye.